I want to begin by reminding you what we told you about last week, which we have put together a resource for you, a free resource that we think is a great value-add companion to this series, and that is the end-of-life checklist, and that's exactly what it is. It's a checklist of things that you will have want to have talked through with your loved ones before you die. Uh, because as odd as it may seem, and oh, that's a bummer, and that's so depressing, and I don't want to talk about that, one of the most loving things you can do is have necessary conversations ahead of time so that when your death comes, those you love know what you want, know where everything is, and all of that, so you can go to that end-of-life checklist through our website. You can find it on our app. You scroll down to learn more. And even if you are in the room, one of our locations today, you can scan the QR code on the seat back pocket in front of you and go down to the latest and you'll find it there. Again, not one of those things that you want to do, but pick a rainy day, a dreary day when nothing else is going on, or maybe for Halloween. Sit around and say, hey, let's pull this up and let's uh, come up with a plan to make sure that we are doing this for one another. An end-of-life checklist, we hope that helps. You do not have to have lived very long to figure out, this is true for all of us, that life, my life, your life, our lives involve a regular refocusing on what really matters. Time and time and time again, come back to it. What really matters? What really matters? And what you'll find, and you won't have to do this very long or very often, what you'll find, if you'll notice, a pattern will develop that what really matters is not really a what, it's a who. It's the people. People that matters. And you know this. You know this. We would all get this right on the test. We would all. just Yep, yep, people are more important than things. And we say that, and we know that. But you have to come back and refocus on that all the time, don't we? Because we just live a very distracted life. And there's so many things pulling at us. So many demands on our energy and our focus and our time. We've got the to-do list that never stops. And you got money stuff, financial stuff, bills that got to be paid. you got jobs and meetings and schedules and going here and going there. And, to, you know, and if, you're like, if you're like me, you can get really distracted so easily. So you have to come back to what really matters. is people, people more important things. People are more important than anything else. You come back to it time and time and time again. And you'll do that your entire life, whether you're young or old. Life is just constantly, I gotta refocus, I gotta refocus, I gotta refocus. Now, thankfully, our culture has figured this out. And so there are things baked into the calendar already, special days for all of us that remind us, that tap us on the shoulder and go, hey, remember, remember, people are more important than things. Things like we got birthdays, right? That's an important day. Anniversaries. But there's also things like Mother's Day, Father's Day, Grandparents' Day. Yeah, all these things that Hallmark has already determined are very important for you to focus and send a card. And those are reminders. But have you figured, have you noticed this? I know you've noticed this. Have you noticed that recently, in recent years, that the special days have just gotten out of hand, though? Especially if, you know, on Instagram, if you're following along on social media. I mean, like, for instance, and I don't know if there's a committee somewhere that decides this. I don't know who sits around and decides, oh, we're going to make this the national day of, like, for today, today, October 23rd, when, when we're um, doing this and recording this, today is National Boston Cream Pie Day. Did you know that? I hope your Instagram reflects that. 
National Possum Creek. It's also International Snow Leopard Day. I'm not making this up. You can look this up. Now, I'm not even sure if Snow Leopards are aware of this, that they have a day. It, it, it's, it's amazing. And it's National Mole Day. Yeah, just let your mind wander on that one a little bit. Yeah, now, now let me clarify. Not mole as in a spy mole, like we have a mole in the office, right? Not mole as in the little bitty creatures that burrow holes in your front yard, and you're like, oh, what are those little, little tunnels? You know, not those, those cute little guys that wreak havoc in your yard, not them. And not even the nice little friends that, that live attached to our bodies. No, this is a mole in chemistry. It's a measure. It's a, it's a mode of measuring small particles and molecules and atoms and all that kind of thing. But you didn't know. Now you know it's National Mole Day. Happy Mole Day to you. Yeah, like, who decides this stuff? Okay, so I'm getting sidetracked. So the other day, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I'm telling you, we get all these days, and somebody decides who these days are. Well, I opened up my Instagram, and, and I was like, uh-oh. Evidently, it's National Daughter Day. And I had no clue. And I got two daughters, Right? who were pretty connected in the social media world. And so immediately I felt some pressure. I felt some heat. And I'm like, I got to find a picture because I love my girls. And I want everybody to know I love my girls. And I don't want anyone to think, you know, and I can't let the day go too far down, you know. And I felt all this pressure. And I found myself going, why? Why do I feel all this pressure? You know, it's just expectation. And then a couple days later, it was National Sunday. And I was like, well, I don't have a boy, so y'all have fun with that. <laughs> kind of thing. I'm like, who decides? So we have all these special days that try to help us to remind us, to bring us back into focus that, wait, 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 the people in your life, mom, dad, grandma, granddad, son, daughter, husband, wife, people are more important. That, that life is constantly about refocusing on what really matters, and what really matters is not really a what, it's not a thing, it's a, it's a who. It's people. And nothing brings that into focus more clearly or quickly, than death. If you are aware that you are at the end of your life when you're at the end of your life, and even if you're not, somebody on your behalf will utter the phrase that all of us probably have heard, and it's a cultural code. We just know. When you hear this said, we know immediately what it means. And maybe a doctor says it, or a nurse says it, healthcare professional says it, or maybe somebody who, who is in the room, they say, it's time, you finish it, it's time to call in the family, right? We know what that means, right? Get their people here because time is short. Get their people here because anything that needs to be said needs to be said because we don't know how much time is left. And that's true every day. We don't know how short time is, but we know one day. When it is time to call in the family, they're not going to call in the reports, the latest reports on your financial assets. No one's going to call for the boss. No one's going to call. I mean, they're not going to call in you know, all that other stuff we, we get so distracted with. They're going to call in the family because we know. And I've been in more of those moments than I could possibly imagine. I've been in the room when they call in the family. I've been in the ICU when they call in the family. I've been in those moments. And in those moments, I'm telling you, I know because I'm there time and time and time again. Nobody brings their people around them and says, I just want you all to know I, I should have I sh I, I gotten to the office earlier. 
I should have stayed later. Guys, I should have worked more. No, they're saying the opposite. I'm so sorry. I love you. I love you. Please forgive me. You, hey, and some of you have been in those moments. I love you. You're, I'm so grateful for you. I wish I could go back and spend more time. I wish, I wish. Yeah, yeah. Because we know it's about constantly refocusing on what matters. And that the what is really a who. At the beginning of this series, week one, we talked about what it meant to live a life well lived. And we said at the end of your life, there's only two things that are going to count. This is what we're going to talk about at your funeral. It's what you're going to care about at the end of life. It's what we're going to want to celebrate at the end of your life. In week one, we saw it's just two things. A lot of things matter, but only two things count in the end, and that's your relationship with God and how you treated other people. And if you live well, you will live with this focus. And if you live with these focuses, not only will you live well, you will die well. Today, like last week, last week we took the first, and we talked about that one, your relationship with God. Today, I want us to drill a little bit more deeply into this one, how you treated others, and talk about what it looks like to love well. The people in your life, the, the people you're going to want around you in those last moments, if that is what the focus is going to be then, listen, listen, you're going to want to make that the focus more now so that when you get to the end, you will have loved well. I was reading, one of my favorite authors is a pastor from the Midwest by the name of Brian Zahn. I was reading some of his work earlier this year, and he said, and I wrote this down, life is not a game, life is a gift. The purpose of life is not to win, but learn to love well. The purpose of life is not to win, but to learn how to love well. Now, you might be thinking, I love my family, I love my friends, I love my people. My people know I love them, I tell them. Great, I'm not challenging that. I'm not asking you to doubt or question your love for them, but I am asking you to take a few minutes and consider the love you show them. Because at your funeral, and I know, I know, because I go to more funerals than is healthy for anyone to go to. This is what I do, I'm a pastor. So I'm there, I know. The stories that are told are not stories on how, they told, how you told them that you loved them. But the stories are about how you showed them that you loved them. And I'll never forget when dad did this. And I'll never forget mom always used to, and they used to always, and they would do. And I remember that one time when they did this and they did this. See, the stories are not about your love for them. It's the love you show them. That is loving well. And how well we love is what will matter most then, so let's make it matter now. And, and to do this, I, I want to go to one of the most famous parts of the New Testament. And, and even if you're not a church-going person, and this is all new to you, you probably are familiar with the famous chapter of love, the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, that Paul wrote in the first century to a group of Christ followers, Jesus followers, Christians in the city of Corinth. It's beautiful. As a matter of fact, you've heard it, you've heard it quoted if, at, at weddings and maybe even at funerals, and you see it, uh, artwork and, and all that kind of stuff. It's just beautiful, absolutely. And so, again, I, I want to go there, but I don't want to go to the traditional place where we just kind of read what love is. We'll get there in a little bit, but I want to go to the overlooked part, the very first part of the love chapter that we just kind of skim through. We just kind of read through and skim through because remember, we're talking about what it looks like to love well. 
and how important it is to love well. And at the end of life, whether or not you loved well is what's going to really, really, really be the focus. Let's look at what Paul wrote about this. He said, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, in other words, if I could communicate on, on earthly levels and heavenly levels, if I could communicate perfectly, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You may not know what that sounds like, but it ain't good. Okay, some of you that are um, still young but can remember the gong show, maybe you have a sound in your head, right? Remember that? Yeah, he said, basically, if I could communicate beautifully, but if I didn't love people, it's of no good. Then he goes on. He said, if I had the gift of prophecy, if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, if I could tell you what God was thinking and what God was doing and what God was up to, and if I just knew, if I was like super spiritual, and he goes on and talks about his faith, if I had such faith that I could move mountains, that's, that's pretty awesome, but didn't love others, I'd be nothing. And you take it one step further. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, which you would think, oh, well, that's a good thing to do. My goodness, wouldn't that, be a, wouldn't that be a loving thing? He said, yeah, but you could do that, and I could boast about it, and I could brag about it, but if I didn't love others, in other words, it's possible to do these things and not really do it from a place of love. Maybe you do it out of obligation. Maybe you do it to make a name for yourself. Maybe you do it for, I don't know. But if I didn't really love others, I would have gained nothing. Basically, Paul's saying this. At the end of life, the end of life assessment is this. It's love or nothing. I mean, that, that, I welcome you. I challenge you to tell me what else is more important in the end than that. It's love or nothing. And Paul said, you can check all the right boxes and you can communicate well and you can be super spiritual and understand God's will and be able to communicate it to people and you can have great faith and you can even do great things for others. But if it doesn't come from a place of love, if you don't love well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't count because in the end, you can do it all right and still get it wrong. And I wonder if Paul must have thought about his former life before he became a follower of Jesus when he was writing this. Because see, in his former world, Paul was, in his former, not like, like former life, but before he became a follower of Jesus, he was a Pharisee. Pharisees and Pharisees, spiritually. I mean, they, they dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's. They got it all right. They, they memorized scripture. They knew the law. They kept the law. They, just, they were like super spiritual and Paul says, you could check all those boxes. But Pharisees were also notorious for kind of being kind of like spiritual jerks. Right? They were prideful, arrogant. And Paul said, you could do it all right and still get it wrong if you're not driven by love. Now, here I want to look at this passage again, but I want to come at it from a different angle. 20 years ago, two decades ago, a pastor, a theologian, a professor an author by the name of Eugene Peterson gave the world a wonderful gift. What Eugene Peterson did, and he's with the Lord now, passed away a few years ago. Eugene Peterson understood the Hebrew and the, of the Old Testament and the Greek and the Aramaic that was translated into the New Testament. 
He understood that very well, and he decided, instead of trying to stand up there and, and understand these things like we're all trained to do, pastors in seminaries and, and, and colleges and universities and that kind of thing, and then trying to explain it to people, he said, why don't I just write it down? Why don't I just write down in common language, in the most basic common language, translate the Old Testament Hebrew into common language in English for the people that I'm pastoring, and do the same thing in the New Testament as well. And so he did that. He gave his, the end of his life to doing this work, this greatest work that a lot people consider and it's called the message the message translation of the scriptures and if you've never read the bible through the message translation you should do this it's beautiful it's powerful and it you could just read it and go i know what that means i know what that means instead of having to go i'm reading this i'm not sure what it means i need to find a pastor to tell me what this means he said well, let me just write it out so people can go i know what that means isn't that great it's beautiful. And if you don't have a copy, you can get a copy. We'll help you get a copy. In fact, it's free. You can download Uversion, the app, Uversion app, and you can get to it there free. It's just amazing. It, the scriptures just come to life. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to go back and read this again. That first part of 1 Corinthians 13. But now I want to read it in the message translation. And you'll see it has this MSG down here. That means message. You're like, I'm allergic to that. No, 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 you're not different. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, like, that's impressive, but I don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. Can you hear that sound? See what I'm talking about? The creaking of a rusty gate. We can hear that sound and it's annoying as all get out. You just want it to stop. And he said, that's what life is like. You don't love. Goes on. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries, making everything plain as day, and if I'm super spiritual, I, I know all this stuff about God. And he says, if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and the mountain jumps. But if I don't love, no matter how spiritual I am or how much I know about God or how much faith I have, he said, I'm nothing. And then he says, if I give everything I own, everything I own to the poor, if I just give it all away and even go, I give my life, I give my body, I go to the stake to be burned as a martyr. You would look at someone and applaud them and go, oh, what a life, what a life. But Paul says, but if I don't love people, I really got nowhere. It was a waste. So he summarizes it like this. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Do you see what I'm talking about? Does it not just make the scriptures just jump off the page? It just comes out and like, I get that. Here's the truth. No matter what you say, well, I love people. I love people. Okay, I hear you. No matter what you say, no, no matter what you believe about God, oh, I believe Jesus and died on the cross, paid for my sins. And I, okay, good, great, great, great. And no matter what you do, I help people. I try to do this, and I'm a good citizen, and I, I vote, and I pay my taxes. Okay, 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 great. No matter what you do, believe, or say, you don't want to end your life. And the assessment be, I'm bankrupt because I did not love well. In other words, here we go again. It is love or nothing. For me, for you, for all of us. And again, you might be thinking, but okay, I just want you to know, Pastor, I do love my people. And I do what I do in life because I love my people. Great. We love each other, but I want you to consider 
Are we loving each other? Now, this is not a play on words. There's a difference here, and I want you to wrestle with it. Oh, we love each other. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. And yeah, I love them. I do what I do because I love them. Great. But are we actively loving each other? Are we doing more than saying and expressing love for each other? Are we showing love to each other? Are we loving the people we say we love? Because in the end, at your funeral, they're going to tell stories about how you showed them love, not just what you said to them. Unfortunately, we often allow what we do for those we love to keep us from the ones we love. And this attention, it's hard to avoid that sometimes because we have to have jobs and you have to have money to pay bills and, and to do life in the culture that we've created for ourselves and the way their system works. So just, it's just a part of it, right? But isn't it true that often the things that we go do for them, I do this for them, I do this for them, I do this for the ones I love, great, that's fantastic. But isn't it odd how the things we do for the ones we love often keep us from the ones we love? And again, at the end of life, no one says to their loved ones, and no one has ever said to me, Pastor, I should have spent more time at work to show my family how much I love them. No. What people say is, oh, I would have worked a little bit less and spent more time with the people that mean the most to me. Now, again, you got to work, right? You got to work. I mean, it's attention. It's, it's not just like, oh, okay, well, that's easy. But it's certainly not a box to check. It's a way to reconsider the way we live. So, so if we're going to love each other well, are we loving each other? In order to consider that, we got to slow down because we live quickly. We live at top speed. I do, you do. I mean, I'm telling you, I am a type capital A. I think in to-do lists. I think in bullet points. That's just the way it is. Done, 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 next thing. Done, done, next thing. Done, done, next thing. And I live fast. I think fast and I live fast. But I can't love fast. You can live at top speed, but you can't love at top speed. I have a friend of mine that pastors in Canada, and I've heard him say this several times, and every time I hear him say it, it just strikes me as so true. He says, love has a speed, and it is slower than you are. Love has a speed, and it is slower than you are. Slow down. Okay, you can tell people, I love you, I love you, gotta go, love you, gotta go, love you, gotta go. And sometimes you gotta do that, right? Sometimes that's, okay, right? But, uh, slow down and love well. And listen and learn. Listen and learn how to love each other. And here's why this is so important, because chances are your people, with your husband, your wife, your kids, your brothers, your sisters, the people in your life, the people that you're going to call in, call in the family, call in my people, those people that you're trying to learn to love well, those people probably need love in a different way than you do, and they interpret love differently than you interpret it. So you got to listen and learn how to love well. It probably won't come automatically, no matter how much you say you love them. Right? I know how I understand love. I, I can love me. I ain't no problem. I get it. I understand. And I never argue with myself about it. But learning how to love other people is like, well, how? You mean that's how you interpret love? Oh, well, I interpret love by getting the list done. Yeah, you see? You see what I'm talking about? Learn and listen. Listen and learn. And then one more. One more. I want to kind of, I, I don't know if I've ever been able to really 
teach on love relationally in the last 10 years or so without referencing this because when I heard this for the first time, it so impacted me that I've, I've never forgotten it. And I've shared this with you before. If you've been around the summit for a decade or so, you've heard me talk about this before. It's a quote from one of my favorite teachers and authors, Pastor Andy Stanley, and he asked this question. And this is talk about loving each other. What does love require of me? In this moment, what does love require of me? You can answer that question, that'll keep you focused. I love this question because this question cuts right through the crap. What does love require of me in this moment? I know I'm busy, I know there's a lot to do, but what does love require of me? What does loving well require? Because at your funeral, that's what's gonna matter most. Now, I do want to let you know this, and this is good news for all of us, and I think it's a little funny too. But at your funeral, and I know because, again, I, I go to more funerals and it's the same thing time and time and time and time and time again. But at your funeral, you will be better then than you are now. Everybody is a better version of themselves dead than alive. Isn't that funny? It's just true, right? I mean, people, sometimes they say nice things to me and they're like, oh, you're such a great pastor. And I'm like, thanks, thanks. Sometimes I'm like, wait till I'm dead. I mean, after I'm dead, about five years after I'm dead, I'll be a legend. Right? And the stories, I remember that one time, and man, just background music will start playing, and it's just like, here we go. And it's just, yeah. But it's so true, right? You'll be a better dad, better mom, better friend, better brother, sister. There are exceptions, right? But most people have a really hard time saying anything negative about the deceased. It's like it's superstitious. Well, you know, God rest your soul, whatever they do, you know. But, oh, man, we talk about them. They were the best this. They were the best this. And, they, and, and, and I, if I've heard this once, I've heard this, oh, just maybe, you know, thousands and thousands of times, right? They were always there for me. They were always there for me. I'm like, no, there was that one time they weren't. You got in, got in a big argument and like, we're going to go talk about that. You know, she was always there. He was always there for me. I'm like, man, they must have been perfect, right? Nobody talks about the negative. You're going to get better. And here's why I bring this up. At your funeral, you don't want your people to have to exaggerate about you. At your funeral, you don't want anyone to have to fake it. They're going to want to say nice things about you. Love well now. But, but really, it's not about just having people say nice things about you that matters at the end. It's about what they experience from you now. And if, if you love them well now, then they can easily and naturally celebrate you then because you loved well. Oh, you love them, but are you loving them? You're not going to get this right all the time. I don't get it right all the time. Nobody gets it right all the time. I mean, sometimes we just got to refocus, you know, I, And I'm the one doing the teaching, and I, and I think about this. Man, I got, I got so much to learn still about this. If you think I got it mastered, pff, no way. Speaking out of, out of experience here. I have been married for over 28 years to, to one of the people on this earth that quite possibly could be the easiest person to love ever. And that, and that is my love of my life, Donna. And she's not perfect. She'll be the first to tell you that. And she'd be embarrassed if she knew I was not saying this. I mean, and she's easy to love, and I still screw it up. 
I know, I was surprised too. But I do, I do. A couple of weeks ago, we were um, in the kitchen having a conversation and I wasn't being kind, I wasn't loving well. I can't remember the exact situation or what I did, but if I did, I wouldn't tell you because it's none of your business. But I was in a hurry to get back. I had church things doing because I have a list. Things going, right? And so as I opened the back door and headed out, she said, in, in, in Donna style, she said, now you make sure you go love those church people well. I'm like, are you kidding me? She was dead on. She was spot on. She was right. So I backed up and we dealt with that. And that takes responsibility because I was not loving well. You see, even for me, life involves regular refocusing. I got to come back to it. Got to come back to it. What really matters? I'll tell you what really matters. No matter what's on my to-do list, no matter what's happening in my day, it's loving well. Because at the end of that day, if they're calling in the family, nothing else that have happened that day would have mattered. Are you tracking with me? If your any day ends with calling in the family... Nothing that happened that day will have mattered except how well we love. And I'm not making this up. It will be true for 100% of us. So refocus. Loving well is the most challenging thing you may ever do. At the same time, it's the most courageous thing you'll ever do. Loving well, hey fellas, is the most manly. It's the most masculine thing you'll ever do. It's the most strategic thing you'll ever do. And it's the most rewarding thing you'll ever give your life to. Loving well. So what I want to do in the last few moments we have together is go back to 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, and let's finish it. Let's get into the part where he describes what love is, what loving well really looks like. And I want to go back into Eugene Peterson's message translation of what love is. And I want you to hear it and read it and soak it in this way. And I want you to think about your people. I want you to think about those that they're going to call in and say, you only have this few, few hours left, a few days left. I want, I, want you to, I want you to think about them. This is what it looks like to love well. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, even when it's right. Love doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others. Isn't always me first and doesn't fly off the handle. Ouch. Doesn't keep score of the sins of others. You see, love doesn't start sentences with, you always, you never. Love doesn't revel when others grovel. Love takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. Love puts up with anything. In a world where we pride ourselves as human beings of what 
we won't put up with any longer. I ain't putting up with that. I ain't putting up with that. Now listen, I get boundaries. I, I get that. I get wisdom and boundaries. But, but love? The original text there, the original Greek structure actually is translated endures through every circumstance. Every circumstance. Yeah, even that one. It puts up with anything. That's what love does. And trust God always. Love always looks for the best. Starts with the best. Just assumes the best. Assumes the best. Doesn't go to the worst. I bet he, I bet she, I bet. No, 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 that's not love. Love assumes the best. Never looks back. But keeps going to the end. What end? What's the end? Your funeral. Love goes all the way. Love well. That's what it looks like to love well. There's a lot there. I get it. And it's heavy. But we would all do well to meditate on that this week, to read it again, to find a quiet place one morning or one day at lunch or in the evening and read this again and just let it wash over us and soak it up and drink it in. This is what it looks like to love well. And there's no need to be overwhelmed because as followers of Jesus, we have the spirit of Jesus to help us love like this. In other words, there's not a single person here that wants to love this way whom God will not empower to love this way. Every single person here can do it. Every one of us can learn to love well. It's what will matter most at your funeral when they call in the family. So let's make it matter more today. Let's pray about loving well. Our Father, help us. What a sobering reminder this has been. And I need this. Father, help us to slow down and listen and learn. Consider what love requires of us so that love is not just something we have for each other, but it's something we show each other. At the end of my life, at the end of our lives, we don't want our loved ones to have to fake it and exaggerate, but just simply celebrate. Because they were loved, not perfectly, not flawlessly, because we can't do that. But they were loved well. And you will empower us, and you will help us to do just that. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen.